John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. If you have a pew Bible, it's on page 901. I am the vine. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We pray for 2021 that we would abide in Christ. We have seen so brilliantly how the idols of our life have fallen spectacularly in 2020. The things of this world, the functional saviors, whether they be good or evil, Things that are blessings and things that are curses cannot save us. It is only the giver that can save us. Almighty God, triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But Father, we confess that so often we chase after the wind. We judge things by what our eyes can see and our ears can hear and what our minds can understand. And we do not understand the extravagant grace and mercy of our God. For his ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. He is a God who is rich in mercy and abounding in steadfast love. And Father, we are not merciful. And we are not gracious. We remember sin. And we... Do not give grace. But Father, I pray, because apart from you we can do nothing, that we would abide in Christ, that you would draw our hearts to you, and that we would abide in Christ, that we would study his word, that we may get a glimpse of our Savior and hear his voice, that we would um, drink deep of the ordinary graces of God's people and the gifts of the Lord's Supper, of baptism, of worship on the Lord's Day, that our hearts may be conformed and transformed into the image of Christ, that we may flourish by the life-giving sap that comes from the true vine, that we would bear fruit of the Spirit that is working in our hearts. Father, we need you today. Father, we specifically lift up the Patterson family right now, Lisa, as she is grieving the passing of her father, Jim, last night. Father, comfort her as she grieves the loss of her father. May she rejoice, though, in the fact that he trusted in the gospel. Though he was a great sinner, he had a great Savior, as all of us are. Father, I thank you that all of our todays and all of our tomorrows are in your sovereign hand. And you do all things well. We trust you and we love you. In the name that is above all names, Jesus Christ, we pray. And all God's people said, you may be seated. I wanted to go through a little bit of um, what we're going to be doing the next few weeks. This week, I really had thought hard about Um, a sermon that was appropriate for a New Year's. Uh, Next week, Scott Bailey will be preaching, and then uh, I'll resume Mark chapter 14, 15, something like that. Um, I'll figure it out this week when I go to study. Uh, But I wanted to have, I had one week that I, before we jump back into Mark, that I really wanted to 
really set the trajectory for 2021. And because I know 2020 was really, really hard and a lot of unforeseen things happened, we did not have many things and we had many things that we did not want, want we suffered. But the reality is with, at the stroke of midnight, even though I was sleeping and Denise told me it's 2021, uh, as all the fireworks were going off around our house, um, the problems of 2021 did not stay there. They rolled over. And those same problems will be here, the same suffering, the same uh, struggles, the same um, difficulties and, and limitations that we have, they're still here. And I wanted to be able to think, what would be our theme as a church, if you would, to be able to set that course, to say, this is what we want to do. I came up with a very fancy um, logo, if you will, same people who brought you Parking Lot Church bring you this amazing graphic. Um, abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. This is what I want for our church this year. And as I was thinking through, the words of Christ are in John chapter 15 are really what set in motion this desire that we need Jesus this year. We need to abide in Christ because there's a lot of different forces that are going to pull us away from Christ that want to, um, that vie for our allegiances and desire our hearts. But we need to be connected to Christ and abide in him. So that's why this week, John 15 is so applicable to us. Uh, and I want to ask you three questions as we go work through John 15 uh, concerning your relationship with Christ this year. Uh, the three questions are this. One, will you turn to Christ for life? Because there's a lot of places that vie for your allegiance, for your affections, for your time, for your desires. And they will say, come to me and trust in me and I will give you significance and, 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 uh, and fulfill your desires. And in other words, we will give you life. But the reality is, will you abide in Christ? Will you turn to him for life? The second thing as we go, will you trust what the Father is doing in 2021? Did you trust in what the Father was doing in 2020? Will you learn the, the lessons that you learned last year? Will you trust our Father who knows what he's doing? And then finally, the third question is, will you live by the Spirit in 2020? Will you live, or 2021, will you live by the Spirit? So those are our three questions that we want to answer that Jesus is leading through, through this metaphor of the vine, the vine dresser, and the branches. Our first thing that we see this morning, this first metaphor that Jesus is using is the vine. Will you go to Christ for life? You go through Israel, you'll see uh, many places in Israel, you uh, see vines and um, vineyards. And uh, all throughout the history of Israel, all throughout the Old Testament, you often see where vineyards are places of significant teaching and metaphors that we have. Probably the best metaphor, best, most well-known metaphor is what um, Jerry read for us this morning in Isaiah chapter 5, where it's a metaphor for God and his people, the relationship they have. And it simply says here in Isaiah chapter 5, let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. And if you can think, maybe if any of you have been to Napa Valley in California or Israel itself, you can see the rolling hills with the vines and all those things. And you begin to picture this, uh, this vineyard and the vine dresser as he's working. My beloved had a vineyard and on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. Great arduous work that it takes to get a, a vineyard established. Blood, sweat, uh, revenue, tears, all of this is poured into this vineyard for the first few years in desire that it will bring forth choice, uh, vintage uh, products. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and he hewned out a wine vat in it and he looked for it to yield uh, grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. 
Israel is pictured as the vine planted by God intended to bring forth sweet fruit that would um, be a pleasant taste in the mouth of the, vine, of the vine dresser. But I like how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. He looked for a vintage yield of grapes, but for all his pains, he got what? Junk grapes. Grapes that were worthless. They couldn't make anything. We see uh, later on in verse 7, it says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. He invested, he called these people, he led them out of Israel. He delivered from them from their bondage, and he desired that they would follow in his ways, that they would uh, bring forth righteousness because God's heart is a heart of justice and righteousness. He looked for justice, but what did he get? Bloodshed. For righteousness, he was desiring the sweet fruit of righteousness from his people that all the world may know because Israel was designed to be a light to the nations that all the nations of the world would be blessed. But what happened? All they got was outcry. All they got was corruption. All they got was perversion. All they got was junk grapes. And it hurt the heart of the vine dresser. Dresser. But the story that we will be reading over the next 40 days is not just a story of Israel's failure. It's a story of redemption. And as we continue to read and we see that not only um, the patriarchs and the kings and uh, throughout Israel failed, all Israel failed, but in that uh, darkness of night there was an announcement that Christ the Savior was born. The righteous one, the one that did not do what was right in his own eyes, but he honored the Father. Where Israel failed, Christ succeeded. Jesus was righteous. And what does that mean? That means that Jesus fulfilled the law, not just that he dotted every I and crossed every T, but that he was righteous, that he loved the Lord with all his heart and soul and mind, and he loved his neighbor as himself. He brought forth the fruit of righteousness that was sweet in the mouth of the vine dresser. And it was the product of righteousness, the only true vine that brought forth the righteousness of God. So as we go in Israel and we sit by the, and listen to the teachings of Jesus, we see that Christ alone is the true vine. He is the only one that has brought forth righteousness that uh, uh, the Father desires. He is the only source of selfless love, tireless patience, ardent faithfulness, lasting joy, compassionate kindness, sympathetic gentleness, genuine peace, unblemished goodness, powerful self-control. Jesus Christ alone is the righteous vine. He alone is the source of truth and the source of life. And therefore, as Jesus um, gives us his last I am statement in the book of John, he says, I am the true vine. I am the righteous vine. I am the only source of life. Come to me, abide in me, that you may have life. Notice verse 4, how, what Jesus says, abide in me, the source of life. The only one that has brought forth the righteousness of God and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, as we see in Israel's story, and we know in our story as well, the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, disciples, neither can you, Ocean Park, unless you abide in me. But the question becomes, what does it mean to abide in Christ? Does it mean that we have a long list of things that we do? Does it mean that we have to follow a bunch of rules? Or does it mean that we uh, unite ourselves to Christ? That we uh, find our source of life and we devote ourselves to Christ? To abide in Christ is to be utterly dependent upon Jesus. 
And if 2020 has taught us anything, is that we cannot depend on our government, our healthcare system, our financial institutions, our family. We need Jesus desperately. Don't forget that in 2021. Over and over throughout Scripture, this command is remember, remember, remember. Why? Because we are forgetful people. We forget. I often have to be reminded by my wife of the good things that God has done because I come home and I weep and wail and gnash my teeth. Why? Because I forget that I have a good and faithful sovereign God. And her, she lovingly chides me and reminds me. And I say, man, this is what happens when you marry a wise woman. Uh, she reminds you that we have a good and sovereign God. We need to remember. But it's not just simply acknowledging that Jesus is good, that Jesus is the vine. But it's being connected to him. Finding our life in him. To abide in Christ is to cling to Christ, to hold fast to his promises, to order our life according to his command and seek what brings him pleasure and flee from what grieves him. To abide in Christ is to pursue Jesus. Pursue him with our heart and soul and mind and strength to roll all of our burdens off our back and to roll them onto Jesus, onto his strong shoulders. To carelessly throw our cares on Jesus with no intention of taking them back because we know Jesus cares for us. And to establish our foot on his unfailing foundation so that when the rains come down and the floods come up, our feet will not be moved. Brothers and sisters, I need to continually remind myself of this because like the hymn writer says, I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to lead the God I love. To abide in Christ is to pour his heart into my heart. To drink deep of his grace that he gives us. To walk on his path and to measure our lives in thought, in word, and in deed by his heart and his way and his kingdom. To abide in Christ is to plant ourselves deep in his word. And to cultivate our lives by setting our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Why do we need to do this? We need to abide in Christ because of two realities that Jesus gives us. Verse 5, we have no life in ourselves. Verse 5, apart from me, you can do, and you could insert here, no righteous thing by my... um, You can do nothing. A branch on a tree is only a twig if it's not connected to the nourishment that the trunk and the roots bring that that, uh, branch. If you take a branch off a tree, it has no life in itself unless it is connected to that tree and the life-giving sap is flowing from that through that and produces leaves and bring forth fruit. But if that branch is broken off and separated from the trunk and from the roots, it will die because it has no life in itself. And when we seek to be righteous, to try to please God, to try to be moral on our own, we simply can't do it. For a little while, we might have green leafy leaves, but what happens when that branch is separated from the tree? It begins to shrivel. It begins to die. It loses its leaves. It becomes brittle. And all it's good for is throwing into the fire or hitting your friend with a stick. Brothers and sisters, we don't have life in ourselves, we need Jesus to bring forth the sweet fruit of righteousness. 
We have no life in ourselves, but the second reason is because Christ is the source of life. The end of verse 4, the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in me. We can't do this on our own. Though we often uh, drink the delusion that we are good, we come to Christ knowing nothing in my hand I bring, but over time we forget. We begin to compare ourselves vertically, no, horizontally, to other people, and we're not as bad as those people, and we've really gotten our act together, but we forget the grace that taught our heart to fear. The grace that is so amazing that it saved a wretch like us. And over time, we uh, go back and we redact history, and we revise it and say, I'm not really a wretch, I'm a pretty moral person, I'm not that bad. And at that time, we begin to realize we're not abiding in Christ. Because the longer that we abide in Christ, the more we realize how sin has touched and tainted us and how much we need the sweet, abundant, rich, lavish grace of our Savior. J.C. Ryle talked about those. He says, in themselves, believers have no life. No strength, no spiritual power. We are twigs. All that they have of vital religion comes from Christ. And some of you don't like the word religion. Religion is important. True in, um, religion in the eyes of God, John James says us, that we'll see later. Religion is how we serve and how we know our God. Where we come from, where we're going, and why we're here. They are what they are and feel what they feel and do what they do because they draw out of Jesus, out of the vine, a continual supply of grace, help, and ability. Joined to the Lord by faith and united in this mysterious union of the gospel that has brought us from every tribe and every tongue and every nation together with the vine. By the Spirit, they stand and walk and continue and run the Christian race. But every jot of good about them is drawn from their spiritual head, Jesus Christ. Everything good that we have in our life Everything good that we do, though imperfect this side of eternity, is because of the grace and the sweet, gracious, merciful grace of our Lord. And we have to remember that because we quickly forget. So I ask you as we consider this, are you connected to the vine? If somebody were to do a hidden camera series on your life and follow you around and somehow um, can get a microphone into your brain and into your thoughts, would they be convinced that you're attached to the vine or that you're detached to the vine? As we think about that, that that's the question I want you to think. Am I abiding in Christ? Look back on 2020. Where did you turn when things didn't go right? When the indicators that something is wrong, when your emotions bubbled over in anger, in fear, in worry, in discouragement, in weariness, where did you turn? Where did you throw your anchor when the waters roared and the white caps came over into your boat? Where did you turn? Did you turn to your politicians? If you turn to Biden, you have four years. If you turn to Trump, you have about 16 days. I don't like those odds. If you turn to your health care, we don't know what the future brings. If you turn to your money, if you turned it in the end of March, you watched as your investments, as your nest egg, as your securities plummeted like none before. If you turned to your own health and your own ability and you began to cough and you couldn't taste anything, how did you address the problems of your life when the well of emotions began to bubble? Where did you turn? Did you turn to Christ for the life-giving grace of Jesus that he gives us? 
How did you handle the roller coaster of emotions that last year and the year before and the year before brought? How do you view God in the midst of anger, tears, disappointments, and blessings of 2020 and beyond? And when you think of that, and I want you to think of that this afternoon, what does that reveal about where you are abiding? If somebody were to watch you, did you read the Bible? Not to check the box, not to get spiritual bounty points, but are you reading God's Word that you'd hear the voice of your Savior for the calm that He brings, for the wisdom, for the guidance? Or are you turning to social media? Quite frankly, our phones are destroying our souls because it's what we go to. And we... I worry about my children and all of our children and my own self because the amount of time that we spend on social media far outweighs the time that we are in God's Word, meditating on His promise, talking of His promises. We are losing that battle because we're not abiding in Christ where the grace flows freely from His mercy. Can you say with Peter, Lord, where else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you're the Holy One of God. And you might say, yes, I believe that. Has your life indicated that you believe that? Do your children believe that as they have watched you this year? Or is it all lip service and no heart service? Ocean Park, have you experienced the grace of Christ? Is there faith in your heart? Is the Spirit of God dwelling in you? If you don't know Christ, and you said, I've heard about Jesus before, but I don't know Jesus. I've seen him from a distance. I've come close. I grew up in the church. But I have never been able to say that I abide in Christ. Jesus says this, repent and believe. He says, come to me. Stop trying to turn to functional saviors, whether they're good things like family and, um, and religion and, and church. Those are good things, but when you make those ultimate things, they become worthless things. When you turn to functional saviors, drugs, sex, alcohol, pleasure, money, whatever they may be, that's building your own kingdom. Repent of that. Not of doing bad things, which is don't do bad things. But it's the heart condition that says, I am paying my allegiance to those things. Rather, I need to denounce my citizenships in those kingdoms and turn to the one true kingdom, king, which is Jesus Christ. Repent of that, renounce it, and say, I believe your promises. I trust you today. I am yours. My identity is in your citizenship and your kingdom under your law. I am yours. Save me. Some of you will need to do that for the first time. And most of you, all of you, need to do that every day. We sing the song, Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. And what do we mean by that? That means every day, every hour, is a constant battle to repent of self-sufficiency and believe in the promises of Christ every day is repenting and believing and seeking to know and abide in Christ, to find him. Ocean Park, are you connected to the vine? In 2021, the second thing is to be able to begin considered not only the vine, the source of all life and grace and truth with Jesus Christ, but also the vine dresser. Lord, Ocean Park, will you trust what the Father is doing in 2021 in your life? Because... For some of you, it's exciting. For some of you, 2021 will be incredibly difficult. Let's let's look at that. Verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Whenever you see a growing, thriving uh, vineyard, we know that there is a vine dresser who is carefully maintaining and fertilizing and pruning and harvesting at the right time. 
And Jesus tells us that he is the vine, but that the Father is the vine dresser. And a vine dresser doesn't just show up every once in a while, but the vine dresser is intimately involved in the vine. His hands, like a good shepherd, uh, is touching his sheep. A vine dresser, hands know and they've touched. I've watched Lori Burns in awe. And I see these little pathetic plants in my office that I'm killing. And she comes in and she touches it and she plucks and prunes and it responds to her. It's like, it, it, and it grows and flourishes because she knows it. She looks through and pulls and plants and waters. She came to our house once and watered our fake plants because they needed, they were being neglected. And, and a good vine dresser, somebody with a green thumb, doesn't just watch from a distance, but they're intimately aware of the plants. And, and they know that and they see that, that this needs to be pulled off, that needs to be watered, that needs a little uh, fertilizer. Just as the, a good gardener does that, the vine dresser, our fa Heavenly Father, cares for the, the branches. But it's very different in how he does it. Some branches he takes the knife to and cuts them because they are fruitless. And others he takes the knife to and cuts them because they are fruitful and he desires more fruit. Let's look at that. Verse 2, the fruitless branches. Every branch in me connected to the vine that does not bear fruit he takes away. When you look at a, at a vine... Often there are many branches who appear in this clump of, of vines that are there, but they're not actually a, a part of the plant, a part of the vine. They have no connection to Christ. And for a while in the church, there are people that appear to follow Jesus. They say the right words. They know all the songs and hymns, and they sit when they're supposed to. They stand when they're supposed to, and they say what they're supposed to. But in the reality, they are unfruitful branches. Probably the best example in scripture of an unfruitful branch is Judas. Judas was one of the most trusted disciples. Why do I say that? Because Judas is the one who cared for the money bag. And you don't give your money, money to thieves. The disciples thought they could trust Judas. And Judas was with Jesus all the time. He was by the Sea of Galilee when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. He was with Jesus when he broke the fish and the bread and passed it. He ate the fish and ate the bread. He was there when Jesus raised the dead and when he uh, cast out demons. Judas himself did the same. But the reality, as we see, as we read through the Gospels, the reality that Judas was not connected to the vine. And in the upper room that night, Jesus said, go and do what you have come to do. And ultimately... Judas died on a tree of shame and sin, separated from the one true vine, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we have to be very careful because there are many in the church whose connection to the vine is outward and formal and no connection in their heart. There is no faith in the heart, though their outward appearances are moral, and they know all the right things to say and do and all of those things. They're joined by nothing more than empty ritual, meaningless membership, family connections, and a devotion to tradition. They know the jargon. They've listened to countless sermons. They have sung innumerable songs. And they have participated in the ministries of the church. They produce no fruit why? Because they do not abide in Christ. They have no life because though they know about Christ, they do not know Christ. And it says the Father's knife cuts them away and casts them into the fire. The fruitless branches, but also verse 3, we see the fruitful branches. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it might bear more fruits. Already you are clean because the word that I have spoken to you. A plant will not grow healthy if it's not pruned. I planted a magnolia tree in our backyard. And I did a lot of research. And one of the things that they told us is that um, 
five, I mean, it was about a 20-gallon bucket, I think. It was big. And it says, what you need to do when you plant a tree that's been in a, a, a pot like that for a long time is to break up the root ball and to prune that root ball because what happens over time is when it's in this confined little pot, the roots begin to grow inward. And that's okay when it's in a pot because all those resources are very limited. But if you plant that tree in the ground and those roots begin to continue to grow, what they will eventually do is they'll eventually um, tangle up and it will kill itself. So you need to prune those things to be able to do that. And not being the expert that, uh, 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 botanist that I am, it was difficult to be able to cut though. I'm like, I'm cutting these roots and that's counterintuitive to what you're supposed to be doing. We'll see how it does this spring. But you do that so the um, roots grow outward and downward. And as Christians, we need to be abiding in Christ and our roots and our focus does not to be, need to be inward, but it needs to be outward and upward if we're to grow and to flourish in connection to Christ. Every tree that grows will be pruned. Every branch that bears fruit will be pruned that it may grow more fruits. The pruning process is um, traumatic to the plant, and it, to the untrained eyes, it looks like the vine dresser doesn't know what they're doing. I can remember when Crosby and I pruned the crepe myrtle in the front of the house, remember that? We cut off maybe a third of the tree because we wanted to grow all up and, and out and, and be strong. Because crepe myrtles won't bloom unless they have new growth. And, but there were so many branches and leaves on the ground and a huge pile in front of our house. But we knew that the vision of cutting, we were cutting, and that moment it was painful to the tree. And maybe the tree didn't know what was going on. But come back in six months, come back in a year, look back, and you see a beautiful, healthy, flourishing, blooming tree. Therefore, when the vine dresser prunes, he does it that his branches may bear more fruit because he loves them. How does the Lord prune all who are connected, abiding in the vine? By the circumstances and suffering of their life. Ocean Park, let me assure you, every circumstance of your life is guided by the sovereign hand of the vine dresser. Jesus, or the Father, is working to draw you closer to Christ to wean you from the poisons of this world, to drive you to His Word that you may find refreshment, to make your life overflow with the grace of Christ. Every tear that you cried, every valley that you have walked through, every disappointment that is bitter on your lips is the work of the Father pruning your heart to make you bear more fruit and to be like Jesus so that you may grow stronger and that your faith would be more refined. But let me tell you this. You can uh, say, have empty truisms and platitudes, and, oh, God works all things together for good, but at the time of the pruning, it doesn't feel good. When you look down and all those branches are at your feet and you feel the pain of the pruning shears, you don't understand what the vine dresser is doing and you cry out in protest, don't take them from me. I need that. I can't live without them. What am I supposed to do from here? Look what you did. Those are the, the, the cries of the anguished heart when the, the vine dresser works. But the loving pruning of our Father is working. The psalmist in Psalm 119 feels this. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. He was straying from the way and the truth and the life. And what happened? The vine dresser's pruning afflicted him, but it says, but now... I keep your word. I know your word to be true. The vain things of this world did not satisfy me, and your pruning brought me back in the way. 
And he says later on, it was good for me to be afflicted, even though in the midst of it, it sure doesn't feel good. It sure feels like the vine dresser doesn't know what in the world they're doing. It was good that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Paul talks about this in his life. And often, uh, Philippians 4, we use it for scoring touchdowns and winning competitions and getting new jobs and whatever. When our roots are growing inward. But the reality, Paul says this, he says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. Opposites, polar opposites. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Nobody wants to be in hunger and need. We want to have plenty and abundance. But the vine dresser is pruning our hearts that we, it would drive us to the vine that we can do all things, both tears and rejoicing, mountains and valleys, good times and bad times, mourning and rejoicing through Christ, the true vine who gives me strength. Brothers and sisters, do you know Christ? Do you trust the loving hand of the Father, the vine dresser, who is teaching us the sweetness of his grace and working and pruning us to glorify the vine dresser? He is cutting away to the disease of sin that we may grow healthy. He is removing the worldly distractions. So to focus our attention on him, he is shearing away the error of our thinking to drive us to the truth. He is lopping off unhealthy relationships that we may grow in the goodness of Christ. Amy Carmichael, the great missionary, said it this way. She says, what prodigal waste it appears to see scattered on the floor the bright green leaves and the bare stem bleeding in a hundred places from the sharp knife. But with a tried and trusted vine dresser, there is not a random stroke in all of this. God knows what he's doing. Nothing cut away which would, um, would have been a loss to keep it and a gain to lose it. Brothers and sisters, in 2021, will you trust the Father who is pruning your life? Are you abiding in Christ as your source of life? Or are you trusting the Father? Will you live by the Spirit? Jesus continues in Mark chapter 15, um, back in verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Christ turns, uh, first looks at the vine, which is Christ. He looks at the vine dresser who's moving, um, and then he looks at uh, the branches. And he gives two promises to the branches. All those who are abiding in Christ and under the watchful, loving, wise care of the vine dresser. He says, if you abide in me, you'll bear fruits. And if you abide, you will have the Lord's provision. You will have what you need, whether you know it or not. Whether you believe it or not, whether you think that God can provide, you will have that. Because Christ is the true vine, he calls his disciples to remain in him. But abiding in Jesus is more than just having the right thoughts or Jesus died, he saved me. Uh, it's, it's more than that. It's more than making a decision or walking an aisle that uh, have no influence whatsoever in the rest of our life. Abiding in Christ is much more. It is a way of life. It is your heart. It is a desire. It is a passion. It is a new, born-again way of living. Not a momentary, passing action that we, pro we produce. Abiding in Christ is the daily dependence on Christ and a desire to do his will. Notice the promises. There's a promise of abiding. Verse 5b and 6. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burn. To be connected to the vine, that means that the life of Christ is flowing through you. The faithfulness of the only true vine is infusing through you and working in you and through you. Faithfulness is not a test 
of whether you're in the, the, um, on the vine. It's a byproduct. It's a product of being connected to the vine. Jesus is not saying, okay, you must produce a minimum of three fruits this year to stay connected. Jesus is saying that if you're bearing the fruit of the Spirit, you are connected. Because you are connected, the Spirit is working through us. In other words, if you're abiding in Christ, you will bring forth fruit. If you're not abiding in Christ, you cannot bring forth fruit. If you are abiding in Christ, the life-giving sap of Jesus is flowing through you and bringing forth life and faithfulness. If you're not, you will wither and die when the testing comes. When the deceitfulness of the riches of this world comes. When the cares and worries of this world, they will choke you if you're not connected to the vine. If you are abiding in Christ and His Spirit is working in you, the Word of God is transforming your heart and purifying your heart and your mind, and day by day you're becoming more like Jesus. If you're not abiding in the Christ and His Spirit is working in you, you are slowly being choked by the cares of the world, by the riches and pleasures of this world. And notice verse 3, he says, Already you are clean because of the Word that I have spoken to you. Those who abide in Christ, the gospel, the word of God has planted deep in their heart and it is bringing forth fruit, cleansing and purifying and driving away sin. Um, I mentioned earlier, I referred to this one uh, in James. Oh, actually it's backwards. Take my word for it. Um, James says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God um, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. We think, and that's where we typically stop. But true religion, true relationship with God is this, and it continues, is not only caring for the weak and the downtrodden, but also keeping oneself unstained by this world, putting to death our sin and becoming more like Jesus. Pure religion is only possible when we're genuinely connected to Christ and this, His Spirit is working in us. Ocean Park, abiding in the vine is not just doing the right thing, but nurturing the relationship that the Spirit of God may make you more like Jesus. Not only do we have the promise of abiding in the vine, but the promise of God's provision, 7 and 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you may bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Those who love Christ trust his word and they seek his will. They align their hearts with the will of God so in such a way that it's God's pleasure to give them what they ask. Those who ask in the Spirit connected to Christ, under submission to the Father, and their hearts are aligned with His heart, it is God's pleasure to give us what we ask. If your child asks you and has a long list for Christmas of extravagant things, you'll roll your eyes and try to find something maybe that you can afford. But if your child comes to you and says, Mommy, Daddy, I just want to spend more time with you, or I would like to give away one of my gifts to my friends who aren't getting gifts. I'd like to give up some of my presents to be able to give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. What are you going to do if your children or your grandchildren ask you that? You're going to be ecstatic because it's your desire that your children would be generous and think of others and be humble and seek to, to show kindness to others. And this is the same thing with Christ. When we're connected to Christ, trusting the Father, and the Spirit is working and conforming us to the needs of Christ, it's going to change our appetite and change what we seek. So we go to the Father, seeking His heart, asking for the Father's heart that we may know and, and be like the Son and ask whatever you wish according to the heart of Christ and our Father by His grace will lavishly give us what we want. Father, this year I want more hope. I want more joy. 
I want to be more peaceful. I want to be more patient. I want to be more kind. I want to be gentle. I want self-control. It is the Father's good pleasure to make you like Christ and to give you His kingdom that the Spirit would manifest and overflow in your life. But when we go to the Father and wave a list of demanding things that we're owed, the Father prunes. And he cuts away that, that we would be like Christ, that we would trust him, and that we would live in the Spirit and bring forth the fruit of the Spirit. When we, will you seek this year to conform to the will of God? Will you desire that his kingdom is furthered? Will you have an appetite for all that's good and beautiful and true? Will you desire to bring forth the fruit of the Spirit? And I promise you, because Jesus promises us that our Father will give that to you when we seek to live in the Spirit and bring forth the Spirit. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Ocean Park, in 2021, do you desire to bring forth the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, to live a life that is marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Or will you follow the same patterns of your life and bring forth the work of the flesh, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, enviness, drunkenness, and perversions. All the things that we saw in 2020. Will you go to Christ to abide in Him? Will you trust the Father that is working to make you more like Jesus and to glorify uh, our Father in heaven? Will you desire the Spirit to work in you? Remember in 2020, Christ is your true vine. Your Father is the wise vine dresser and you are the branches that are, the Spirit is moving and working in. Are you connected to the vine? Do you trust the knife of the vine dresser? Are you bearing fruit? And I pray that 2020 we will abide in Christ. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you for who you are and what you have done. Father, we need you. And I pray as we sing that our desire is to give you all the glory. Because there is nothing that we have, nothing good in me, that we deserved. But everything good that we have is by your grace. May we make much of that. May we, like a child, go to our parents with an empty bottle and say, More, please, that the grace of God may fill us up and cause us to grow like Jesus. In his precious and holy name we pray, amen.